want to talk this morning about blue Christmas, about dealing with disappointment, about dealing with depression. And I'd like to start with a word of prayer. Lord, we all know that this time of year can sometimes be very depressing and hard for individuals. When everything's supposed to be up and so joyous and so wonderful, Lord, many times we sink. And many times, Lord, it's when we realize that our lives aren't what we thought they would be. I pray, Lord, this morning that you take these words that I want to say and make them your words, Lord, and that you'd use them to encourage people here who need encouragement, to strengthen those who maybe need strengthening, to comfort those maybe who need to be comforted, or just to inform those who need to be informed, maybe to equip, equip them to minister to someone else. Take control here, Lord, this morning, and release me from feeling it's my somehow my job or responsibility to make this happen, to make the Word your Word. You've got to do that, Lord. So let your grace flood it. In your name we pray. Amen. Christmas doesn't always turn out the way we'd like it to turn out. And maybe some of you are sitting here this morning and and you're really realizing that. My Christmas went pretty good. But I sat there on Christmas morning... I bought my son, I told you a couple weeks ago about this uh, airplane that my, my son and I made that looked like a bus with uh, uh, boards sticking out of it, but he was so touched by it because cause we made it together. And I thought, what a wonderful thing to uh, keep this ball rolling. He's still interested in airplanes, and so I could get a model airplane, our first model airplane, and Nathan and I would spend Christmas putting this model airplane together, and we'd paint it, and he'd be so excited, and I could just envision the gleam in his eye. And I thought back when I was a little boy how my dad and I used to put together model airplanes. Remember, we used to have a ton of model airplanes downstairs, and that meant so much to me. But things don't always work out as, as you plan them, do they? Um, and I got the airplane out, and he was excited when he saw the picture of the finished product, but when we opened it and he realized he had to put it together, he wasn't so excited. But I tried, oh, Nathan, we'll, we'll do this together. Father, son, bonding, building an airplane together. And he got a little bit of excitement. Right off the bat, though, you know, the wheel didn't fit into the wheel chassis, and he got frustrated. And, and then, and, you know, I was trying to get him to help me with the thing. And the wheel chassis didn't fit into the, the, the body of the airplane. The wings didn't fit into the, the whole body of the airplane. We ended up breaking them, trying to make them fit. After about 14 minutes, he says, planes are stupid. <laughs> and he goes out there, I'm playing Nintendo. <laughs> Things sometimes don't turn out the way you want them to. You know, thinking back on it, I never had that much fun putting those planes together either. I right? think back on it. They're always a pain in the neck. But you have these dreams and you have these visions about what it's supposed to be like and it doesn't always turn out just the way you'd like it to. And that's just a little tiny example of some of the ways that Christmas can be a depressing time for us, especially after Christmas when we look back on it. Before Christmas we have sort of a momentum of expectation, anticipation, but afterwards we look back and we say, maybe it wasn't all that great. The ideals and the dreams of, of, of the Christmas season sometimes haunt us. spoke with a lady a couple of weeks ago at Bethel as we were leaving. Last time we were going to see each other before the new year, and then I just said, have a Merry Christmas, and... She had kind of a sad look on her face. She's, she's old 50 years old or so, and she says, Greg, enjoy your Christmases now because when your kids grow up, the magic is gone. And Christmas is it's just a bunch, a bunch of memories for me, and it's kind of sad because I, never, I, never think, I, I don't think I'll ever have that magic again. And for some people, Christmas is like that. It's, you're haunted by the ghosts of Christmas past, memories of things that once were, and 
Sometimes you build those memories up to be a lot better than they actually were at the time, but we all need a dream, and so you make a dream out of your past. Or maybe you're haunted by the, the ghost of Christmas past because you look back and you never did have those magical Christmases. And that's what haunts you. Or maybe you're haunted by the ghost of Christmas present. What you thought family like family life would be around the Christmas tree just doesn't pan out. The marriage that you thought you'd have, you don't have. Maybe you don't even have a marriage anymore. And the way you thought your kids were going to grow up and enjoy Christmas, that hasn't happened either. And Christmas is for you a bunch of, of shattered dreams and expectations and it hurts you, it bites you every time you've got to drive the kids over to the ex-wife or the ex-husband or maybe two ex-wives and two ex-husbands. Things get real complicated. And that's a constant reminder of what represents to you a failure in your life. And that brings disappointment. Disappointment happens when our dreams clash with reality. In some ways, I think the disappointment we sometimes experience on Christmas is just sort of a mini-example of what is true about life in general. I think a lot of ways Christmas does that. It just sort of brings to the surface things which we normally are able to run away from and deny. Here they stare us in the face. But it's true all our life long. Life is filled with a lot of disappointment, a lot of broken dreams. Maybe I'm in a sort of cynical mood right now, but it seems to me that growing up is largely the process of having your dreams and hopes clash with reality. Broken dreams. When I was a kid, I, uh, maybe it seemed my stepmom here is bringing back all sorts of childhood memories, but I remember I used to want to be a, you know, most kids want to be a fireman or something. I wanted to be Superboy. Really bad. And... And this wasn't just a little... Hey, every kid wants to be Superboy at one time or other. No, I lived it. I mean, this is my aspiration. I wanted to be a superhero. I wanted to rescue, you know, Amy in second grade from the bad men who were certainly going to come and, and get our school and I would take off my shirt and have a Superman cape and, and, and save her. And you ask, where did that Superman cape come from? I wore it to school, just in case. I would walk around with a Superman cape. I only told my secret friends. I'm Superboy. Don't, don't let it out, though, you know. Uh, that was my dream. I wanted to, you know, just... I really wanted to be it. And I remember the day that that dream came to an end. It should have come to an end a lot earlier than it did. But, but I remember the day that it did come to an end. I was uh, about oh, nine years old, I guess. <laughs> Shaving a couple of years here because I'm embarrassed. I was about nine years old, and, and I, I still thought a lot about being Superman. And I, I thought that if I just believed it enough, if I just hoped in it enough, if I really believed I could fly, I really could fly. And there came a moment of truth when it, it was time to test this. I was laying in bed, and I heard, I heard the sirens outside. Some damsel is in distress. She needs saving. Now, thank, thank the Lord I had enough sanity not to jump out the window. But I did run down to the garage... I don't want to think about it. Why am I telling you this about myself? But I went out into the driveway and I tried to fly. It was so sad. With my cape. <laughs> and it was then that I realized I'd never be a superhero to anybody. <laughs> Some days it's an achievement to be average. No superboy. I think that... that 
that need to feel Superboy significant carried on into my teenage years because it, but it became demythologized. I wanted to be an Olympic runner. That was what I was going to be, Olympic runner. And there was some, you know, unlike being Superman, there was a little bit of hope for this one because I grew up kind of fast. And when I was in junior high, I, I could run a mile really good, never got beat. So I thought I was going to be, an, you know, an Olympic star. If I can't fly, well, then at least I can run. That's what I'll do. And I remember the day that that dream came to an end, too. I qualified for the Junior Olympics, the National Junior Olympics. Good deal. Two from every state qualified. And I was going to go down to Omaha, and we were going to watch me win the Junior Olympics, and that was the next stepping stone to the Olympics themselves. What no one told me was that they sent out a qualifying sheet of all the top qualifying times, and everyone was invited to go to Omaha for the National Olympics, but only the top 10 or 15 actually went because no one else had a chance. I never got that sheet. And my qualifying time was the second slowest in the nation. So I went down there, Super Greg, going to run the Super Mile. And I knew I was in trouble right away. I, we were lining up, and these guys all looked so slender and so skinny and fast and older than me, even though they were all 16. And I heard some talking about times, and one said that their best mile time was 4.18. Mine was a 4.45. That's a big difference in the mile. We started off, I ran the fastest First lap of my life, actually the fastest 400 meters I ever ran in my life, I was gasping for air and I was in dead last place. Second lap, I was dying and I was a good quarter of a lap behind everybody else. The next closest guy was a guy who was limping. <laughs> By the third lap, I was shot. I was totally shot. And I was wearing a, a shirt that said Super Jock, you know, and in stadium. And it was like... <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> Good sarcasm here. By the end of the third lap, I was so far behind. I was looking at him, you know, I was hoping I wouldn't get laps, you know. And I, I, I ran, I started so much faster than I was capable of. I was just dying. I was coming to almost a walk. And that last lap was the longest five minutes of my life. That's about what it took. And I finished in dead last place. Why I didn't drop out and come up with an excuse, I don't know. To this day, I don't know. That's what I should have done. But I think that dr my dreams for me die hard. Dreams clash with the reality. The way you think things ought to be and are supposed to be and expect them to be and maybe even need them to be clash with the way things are. And the gulf between those two things, your expectations and reality, is what creates disappointment and depression. We've all had dreams die. Don't pretend like I'm the only one here who, who played Superman and wanted to be an Olympic hero. I bet Paul wanted to be President of the United States when he was a kid and... and uh, Janelle probably wanted to be an actress, and Michelle wanted to be a model, and, and John wanted to be a super congressman, and, and Joe wanted to be super, uh, you know, super successful, and Ray wanted to be a great entertainer, and we all had these dreams of what it was going to be like. But then reality sets in. That's what we call growing up, and our dreams clash. Our dreams clash with, with reality. Or maybe some of you never had these kind of wild, crazy dreams about being Superboy. You just wanted to be like, like ordinary kids want to be. You wanted to be the fireman, or you wanted to, you wanted to be you know, the, 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 the postman, or the, the cab driver, or the homemaker. That's what you wanted to be when you grew up. And maybe you are that, but the difference is that when you were a kid, you thought you'd be happy doing it. You had a dream. Somehow you were going to be fulfilled being a fireman, and fulfilled being a policeman, and a cab driver, and a homemaker you were going to be happy. And somewhere along the line, either with a sudden event or maybe over a long course of period of time, that dream also confronts reality because when you're a kid, you don't know how the rut of life can get you down. How routine kind of wears passion out. How time kind of erodes excitement. 
How things are never quite what they're cracked up to be and how unfulfilling and low-paying a lot of these jobs can be. You don't know that as a kid, but you find out later on. I'm really getting this depressed here, aren't I? <laughs> Hallelujah, preacher, brother, boy. <laughs> get us more depressed. Well, think about love. You want to get depressed? Love. We've all crashed on that rock at one point or another. Remember the knight in shining white armor that was going to come and rescue you and, and that damsel in distress that you were going to save and she was going to be loyally devoted to you for life? And uh, riding off into the sunset, you'd live happily ever after and you're going to be married, passionately in love every day of your life and travel the world wide. Remember that? And when you first fell in love, it actually seemed like it was going to be that way. All these emotions and these hormones and it makes you crazy. You take your shoes off and put them in the refrigerator because you can't think right. But then you confront reality, and reality isn't always what we thought it was going to be. And maybe it was in a sudden event, or maybe it was a long period of time, but somewhere along the line, I bet a lot of people here have had their dream and their expectation of what love was going to be like and what marriage was going to be like crash against the rock of reality. And that brings disappointment. Maybe it completely ended the marriage you were in. Or maybe your marriage just sort of goes on in sort of a rut and it just keeps, but the passion's gone and the expectations, what you thought was going to be there is completely absent and you go on in sort of a passionless motion. But it hurts because the dream is still there. And it's sad. There's a clash. You know what's really sad is going to class reunions. I think they're very sad to go to. I don't know why I keep on doing it, but to go to class reunions. And there you, you see people, and in some ways it reminds me of, of like a, a, a field full of broken, broken vessels, broken pots, and the pots were our dreams and expectations. How different we thought it was going to be when we graduated. How many naive dreams we had. And here is reality 15 or 20 years later. And what does it look like? Not at all what we thought it was going to look like. There's the homecoming queen dashing down cigarettes and booze. And she's a nervous wreck trying to forget herself. She doesn't look like she used to look 20 years ago. She doesn't act like she used to act 20 years ago. There's a bitterness and a cynicism there. And there's a track star. And he's 80 pounds overweight. And... There's uh, the most popular cheerleader and, and she's still trying to do her cutesy little trick that got her attention in senior high and somehow it's really sad when you do the same tricks 20 years later. And there's the, the, the super baseball player who's still playing in AAA minor leagues, always full of excuses why yet. One break hasn't come through yet. It's very sad. Dreams clash against the rock of reality. People handle it in different ways. Some of us handle it by running from it. We keep lying to ourselves. It hurts too much to admit that your dreams die, so you keep on chasing that elusive dream. And some way, someday, somehow, way down the road, you're gonna, it's going to happen to you. You're going to make sure it happens to you. You're going to get that break you've been looking for. You're going to find that knight in shining white armor. But it's just a matter of time before you realize that those dreams just do not come true. What happens sometimes is people, when they hit that rock, they, look, they, they project their dreams into the past. They can't accept their reality for what it is, so now it becomes kind of a walk on memory lane. Do you remember how it used to be? And how it used to be becomes idealized. It was so great back there. Things were so simple then. Those were the days, my friend. We thought they'd never end. We'd sing and dance forever in a day. We'd live the life we choose. We'd fight and never lose. Those were the days. Oh, yes, those were the days. And you live in those kind of dreams. And then many people, what they do is they simply 
They simply try to ignore it, and they just plod on in life. They give up dreaming because it hurts so too much, and they don't have the energy to dream about the future or dream about the past. They give up on that, and they live without a dream. And in some ways, that's the worst thing of all. Because human life without a dream is very, very empty. You just live. You're just a biological organism. You have nothing that you're excited about, nothing that you're working for, nothing that spurs you on. That's sort of like succumbing. Without a vision, the word there can also be translated dream, by people perish. In some ways, that's the saddest state of all. What do you do about this? What do we do? If you paid me $80 an hour and I had a psychiatric degree after my name, I'd give you some good advice. But I don't get paid enough, so forget it. No. Only kidding. Well, there's some good suggestions I could give you. I could tell you, for example, to try to think on the positive side of things. Try to be optimistic. Try to find value in the little things. Try to be upbeat. Don't let your mind get in the gutter. I could tell you that, and that's a good piece of advice. Do that. That's a real good suggestion. I could tell you that maybe you need to develop a new hobby. Maybe you need to, to go on a vacation. Maybe you need to, to wear a different hairstyle. Try a new thing. Get out of the rut. And that's a good suggestion. Maybe you need to do that. I could tell you maybe that uh, you, need, you need a radical break with things. Or maybe you're not getting enough sleep. Maybe you need to take more vitamins. Maybe you need to be put on Prozac. And, 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 and that's maybe a true thing. Maybe you do need that. And I'm not minimizing that. Do that. Those are good suggestions. Maybe you need, to, I could tell you perhaps that you, to, you need to work on your relationships, your disappointing relationships with your family, with your wife and with your friends, etc. I could give you interpersonal skills. And, and that would be a good suggestion. Those are all good things, and on a different day I'd preach on those things. But this morning I want to talk about something else. I don't think that is the root of the problem. The root of the problem. And what I want to talk about now is the root of the problem. What is really the problem here? We have dreams, we have needs, we have expectations, and those dreams and needs and expectations clash with reality. And that gulf is what creates disappointment. Our childhood wasn't what we thought it should be like because we had needs as a kid that weren't met. Our childhood wasn't what it was supposed to be. Instead, it's like this. And our own children aren't what they, we thought they were going to be like. Instead, they're like this. And our marriage isn't what we thought it was going to be. Instead, it's like this. And our church, and our jobs, and our vocations, and our success. It's not ever quite what it was supposed to be like. Instead, it's like this. Now, what is the fundamental problem here? I don't believe it's so much in the nature of things. The world's not what it was supposed to be like. But I don't think the fundamental problem is in the way we're raised, or the way we feel about our jobs, or feel about our marriages. Rather... What I want to suggest is that the fundamental problem, the root of the problem is in the expectations and dreams we bring to the world. Follow me here. In some ways, we set ourselves up for a fall because we think that our dreams are about this world and we think that this world's going to fulfill our dreams. And when you go to the world, when you go to your family, when you go to your kids, when you go to anything with that kind of expectation, you're going to fall because the world just doesn't come through. It doesn't pay up. It will disappoint Think of it this way. Look at it from a biblical perspective. There's something fundamentally wrong with the way we, we approach our life. We are created by God with a need mechanism. You have a honing device in your soul. It's a need mechanism. Basic fundamental needs that you have. And it's those needs that produce our ideas of what the world should give us, what we need. 
We have a need for work. We do need to feel Superboy important. We, we need that. To feel significant, to feel love, to feel happiness, to feel peace. Those are fundamental needs that we have. God created us that way. But we mistakenly think that those dreams are about this world and therefore we look to this world to fill those needs and we are disappointed because the world never pays up. It never pays up. And it never will pay up. Think of it this way. Our hunger is what leads us to think that the world should have food. And our thirst is what leads us to believe that the world should have water. And our need for oxygen is what leads us to believe that the world should have air. And biologically, the world comes through. We get fulfilled. Our needs create expectations, and the world meets those needs. But when it comes to the air and the food and the water that the soul needs, the world doesn't come through. The world doesn't come through. We've got the needs, but there's no answer to those needs. And so our soul goes on being hungry, it goes on being thirsty, and it goes on suffocating because the people of the world and the circumstances of the world just can't meet those needs. We're sort of like this, I think. Like, like a little boy that was raised by wolves. A little boy raised by wolves. He grows up and he, he, is, he attaches to that mother wolf. He thinks that mother wolf is his real mother. He hones in on her. The trouble is that that mother wolf can never be a good mother to that boy because his needs far outrun what that mother wolf can give him. And it's not the wolf's fault. It's just the, the troubles with the boy's honing mechanism. He thinks that the mother's supposed to fulfill him. And he'll be a very frustrated little wolf. He's got needs that far outrun what that mother can give him. And so it is with us. We have got needs in our life that go way beyond, that far outrun anything this world could ever give us, even when it's at its best, which it usually isn't. We hone in on the world because we think that it is what our dreams are really about. We hone in on the world as being the source of what's going to meet our needs, but it never pans out, and so we're always disappointed. There's something empty about every dream that's realized in this world. It never quite measures up. And there's something empty about every Christmas present. It never quite gives you what you anticipated. And there's something a little bit skewed and empty about every relationship, and there's something that eventually hits you as empty about every achievement. At first it seems so wonderful, but in the end you ask the question, is that it? Is this, I thought there'd be more. I thought it would feel different. I thought it would be more lasting and more durable, and it never is. Biblical solution is simple and profound. And it's this in a nutshell. The Bible solution is that we can be happy and we can get our needs met, but not by looking at this world and expecting people to meet those needs and struggling to bring together the, the bridge, the gulf between reality and our, our dreams and expectations. The biblical answer is to find the true food for your soul and find the, the living water for your soul and find the true oxygen that you're, for your soul. The Bible says we are created in the image of God. We're created in the image of God. What that means, among many other things, is that we have a God-shaped hole in our stomach, in our soul, and only God can fill that hole. We need to feel Superboy important. We, we, our dreams are not wrong in thinking that we should be happy ever after. Those dreams are accurate because we are created for a relationship which would fill our soul. The mistake is in, think, in, in mistaking who's going to fulfill it. We have a need, for example, 
to feel loved, to feel infinitely loved, to feel infinitely worthwhile, to feel valuable, to feel unconditionally loved. We have a need. That's a good need. And that need produces all these dreams we have about the knight in shining white armor, about the damsel in distress, about living happily ever after. Those are legitimate dreams. But you know what? They're not about this world. Not really, because the world can never meet those dreams. What those dreams are really about is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus Christ, your dreams come true. And instead of having dreams that far outrun reality, you get the reality of His love that far outruns your wildest dreams. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's a love in your life. If you sell out to it and you give over to it, you find that there's a love there, a worth there, a significance there that no person, however loving they are, could ever really give you. The need mechanism is met. And there's the passion and love of the Lord towards you, and that fills your life with significance. But if we don't know that, we struggle and struggle and struggle to try to bring together the reality in our dreams, trying to make it happen. And we get mad and disappointed at people because they don't love us the way we thought they should love us, and our spouse because they're not a need-meeting spouse. And the irony is that the more you struggle to try to bring dreams into reality, usually the farther away you push people from yourself. But when you open up to Jesus Christ, the one that you've really been dreaming about all along, though maybe you didn't know it, you were honed in on the wrong mother. When you're in that relationship with Jesus Christ, the need is met. What that means is you can stop expecting people to meet the need. Stop expecting people to, to meet your dreams, to make your dreams come true. You're free from that. The same means we have a need to feel happy. We have a need to feel joy. We were created for that. That's a God thing. There's nothing wrong with that. And the dreams we have about living happily ever after and being fulfilled, those are legitimate dreams. We can't pretend like we don't have dreams. We die without dreams. But what we need to realize is what the dreams are about. The dreams really aren't about this world. They're not about the, your job and vocation. That's the form they take because you've honed into the wrong mother. What the dreams are about is a relationship with Jesus Christ, the one that you've been created for, the one who created you and saved you and loved you and wants more than anything else for you to be happy. That's what the dream's really all about. Instead of having your dream outrun reality when you come to know Jesus Christ, the reality of His joy far outruns your wildest dreams. And you can have a joy there, like the love. You can have a joy that is there in the midst of all circumstances. It may be that you're in a real depressing situation. Maybe circumstances are really despairing. Things aren't going the way that they were supposed to go. And it is a sad situation. Your family, your extended family, maybe your health, it's very despairing. And it is disappointing. And I'm, trying to, I'm not trying to minimize the pain of that. But what I do know is that in knowing Jesus Christ, you can have a joy, the Bible says that is unspeakable and full of glory. A joy that is there whatever situation you're in. A joy that is there when things are going good and a joy that is there when things are going bad. A joy that's there when your marriage works and a joy that's there when your marriage doesn't work. A joy that's there when the kids turn out right, but even a joy that's there when the kids don't turn out all right. A joy that is there regardless of the situation and the circumstances of that, that you happen to be in because the joy is based only on Jesus Christ and His joy over you. And that's a fulfilling kind of joy. That's the joy you were created to have. That's the joy Jesus Christ died that you might have. That's what you've been dreaming about all along. To live happily ever after, yes. With Jesus Christ. And so it is with peace. We have a need to feel peace. But oh, the world just doesn't give us that kind of peace. 
The world's a warring world. Nations against nation, neighbor against neighbor, husband against wife, children against parents. There's a lot of conflict in this world. And if you're looking at this world to give you peace and tranquility, it's going to be a long time coming. But the world was never meant, not in this fallen condition, to be the source of our peace. We struggle and struggle to try to bring our dream of peace in congruity with the reality of, uh, that we're in, the situation we're in. We struggle, but the irony is that the more we struggle, the less peace we have. It's like the more we struggle to bring that love about, the less love we have. And the more we struggle to bring that joy about, the less joy we have. Well, the more we struggle to bring that peace about, the less peace we have. But there's a different way. The way is to realize the one that gave you that need mechanism in the first place. Realize what your honing mechanism is for. The one that it's directed towards. And who it's directed towards is Jesus Christ. And then you can have what Paul says in, in Philippians chapter 4, we can have that peace that passes understanding. It's peace that passes understanding because it's there even when, by all natural understanding, by all human estimations, you shouldn't have any peace. Things are all wrecked. Things are going crazy. Things are going bad. You should be thinking about suicide. But instead, you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ that gives a peace that passes all understanding. You can't even explain why it's there. And instead of your dream for peace far outrunning reality, the peace of Jesus is a reality that far outruns your wildest dreams. We were made for Him. And our hearts will hunger and thirst and suffocate until we're rightly related to Him. This morning... Maybe that you're a Christian. But you know what? It's possible to be a Christian and still miss out on that love and joy and peace I've been talking about. It's possible to be a true believer, and but yet you're honed in. You're a human being honed into a mother wolf. And you're frustrated because it doesn't seem to work out. You're a creature of the world and you keep on thinking that it's your wife's job to make you happy or it's your husband's job to make you fulfilled. And you're frustrated and anxious. You don't need to be like that. When Jesus Christ is the source of your entire life, things are different. This, this is why I, I just feel this so strongly. This is peace. And this is freedom. Do you know how freeing it is to be able to accept things? To be able to accept things? To tw- quit trying to make things according to your expectations? Do you know how freeing that is? To be okay with an imperfect world and an imperfect marriage and imperfect kids and an imperfect self? To be okay with that? Because it's not the source of what you're all about. There's freedom there, but as long as you're a creature of the world and think like a creature of the world and only of the world, there'll be, there'll be frustration and bitterness and unforgiveness and disappointment and depression. If you're a Christian this morning and you know the Lord and yet you don't have that in your life, I'd encourage you to make a commitment here going into this new year and maybe even come forward after the service and, and get prayer to yield to Jesus Christ and make Him the source of all that you are. Or maybe that you're here this morning, and I'm going to close with this, and you don't know the Lord. You've never made that initial commitment to Jesus Christ. And maybe that your life is a storybook life, but you know that there's an emptiness there. Or maybe that your life is very far from a storybook life, and it's full of the kind of frustration and emptiness and disappointment we've been talking about. I implore you, I plead with you, grab onto the One who created you, Grab onto the one who alone can meet your needs. Cling to him as your Savior. And go out of this building this morning destined for heaven and related to the one who alone can give you the love, joy, and peace you were created to have. Let's stand and close in prayer.
Father, how can we begin to express with words the gratitude that we have knowing what You have done for us to give us what our heart cries for? How, Lord, we cling to things that are not God to do what only God can do, Lord. How we cling to the things of the world and, and to other people to be our saviors, to be our knights in shining white armor, to, Lord, make our lives significant. Free us from that, Lord. Free us from, from how the enemy would use that to destroy our life and, and give us a life that was filled from beginning to end with disappointment, Lord. Free us from that. Lord, I, I sense that there are people here this morning who... Have this, but it's not just a habit, Lord, but it's a stronghold. And in Jesus' name, I want to come against that stronghold and anything the enemy might do to keep people, the children of God, in bondage. In Jesus' name, we come against whatever the enemy might intend to keep the children of God downtrodden. Instead of drinking from the well of life, we drink from the shadow little puddles of this world, Lord. And instead of eating from the feast of Your table, we would grab the nibbles of this world, Lord. And the enemy would have us do that because that squanders so much of what You saved us to walk in and to enjoy. In Jesus' name, we come against that, Lord. And, and, and we proclaim Your Spirit to free us to walk in Your liberty and Your joy. And Lord, also for those who are here this morning who don't know You, the enemy would try to keep shackles on their eyes and prevent you from entering into their lives and keep their hearts hardened. Lord, do Your work right now, even as I'm praying this very second, Lord. Touch the person who doesn't know You. Lord, the person who's blocked off from You. The person who's in despair. The person, Lord God, who's so weary they can hardly lift up their hand. The person, Lord, who, here who has given up on religion, given up on you. Jesus, pull them forward this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go forth in the joy of the Lord. Feel free. The altar is open if you would like prayer. There will be people up here who would love to pray with you. Come forward if that's the need.